Hi, and welcome to my Independence Report. With this podcast, I have the freedom to say what's in my heart and create anything I want. So, I'm going to present new ideas, thoughts, and comments on past and current events, stories from my job, a view from the seat, as well as the best of, episodes of the various shows and interviews I've done in the past, and even stories about life between lies called Death Isn't Real. With that all said, we might as well get started, and oh, by the way, thanks for giving us a shot. Welcome back to Positive Talk Radio. My name is Kevin McDonald, and I'm your host here on KKNW 1150 AM. Coming up next, I would like everyone to grab a paper and a pencil because you're going to need it. We're going to talk to Janet Bodner. She is the author of Think Single, The Woman's Guide to Financial Security at Every Stage of Light. Janet is a wife, mother, household manager. I love that title, household manager. Executive editor at Kiplinger's Personal Finance Magazine and author of Dollars and Cents for Kids. She's also appeared on the Oprah Winfrey Show, which, of course, our executive producer, Darla, is just so pleased about. And uh, uh, the Today Show and Good Morning America. And she lives in Maryland, don't you? I do. And uh, well, first of all, before we get going on this, are you buying plywood today? (laughs) Uh, No. I'm not. I'm not that close to the coast, I hope. <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, that sounds like there's a biggie coming. I know. That's what I hear. But um, we're hoping that we're uh, far enough inland that <laughs> we don't need plywood. So. Oh, well, that's good. That's good. You just need an umbrella. Right. Yes, exactly. I think, uh, And more than that, hip boots, I think. Waders, <laughs> perhaps. But. <laughs> now, have you lived in Maryland a long time? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you ever gone through a hurricane? Uh, no, not not the kind that you see on TV. Usually what we do, what we get where we are, is the remnants of it, which would be heavy rains, downpours, but the kind of, you know, heavy surf that you see on TV. I don't live near the surf. So. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Although being a Category 4, which may be a Category 5, which is 150-mile-an-hour winds, who knows what is going to happen with that yes, thing. that's true. So Anyway, let's talk about your book, Think Single, shall we? A Woman's okay. Guide to Financial Security at Every Stage of Life. Why is it important to think single? Well, you always want to be financially independent, and thinking single has absolutely nothing to do with your marital status. It simply reflects uh, your way of thinking about money, and that is always being financially independent or always being in control of your own finances, no matter what your stage of life is, whether you're uh, single, you're just starting out, whether you're getting married, whether you have kids, whether you have older parents to take care of, especially for a woman, your life is very often and entwined with the lives of other people, but you always need to think independently and stay on top of your own finances. It's a, it's a really, really difficult topic to bring up, though, isn't it? Oh, sure. You know, it, it, no, matter, <laughs> no matter who your life is entangled with or entwined with, it's difficult. It's difficult if you're on your own to sort of face the fact that you are on your own and you have to think about money independently. If you're getting married, then you have the situation of, gee, how am I going to combine my resources with someone else? And what happens if something happens to that someone else? And then how do I start off again on my own? So money is always an issue, always an issue. And it's one of those things that that there doesn't seem to be a lot of winners in it, is there? I mean, it's difficult for for people to bring it up and then to decide how they do it. For instance, a, a real simple one would be two independent people who decide to get married. Do they keep two checking accounts or do they merge them into one? Well, you know, I really 
think there is there are winners in this. I mean, every successful marriage or relationship that you see um, has obviously found some way to reconcile finances because finances are such an important part of any relationship. So I think uh, when the failure comes in or the losing element comes in is when couples don't address the issue. And I think if you talk about it up front, even before you get married, if you're planning a marriage, uh, and get it all out into the open and you see kind of where each of you stands, uh, you may be able or hopefully you will be able to overcome any differences you might have or to make some sort of compromise. And if you can't, then maybe you just ought to rethink the whole relationship. Because if you can't agree on what kind of checking accounts to have, there are going to be bigger disagreements down the road. But it is possible. You know, many couples find that uh, certainly if they're both independent, if they're getting married when they're a little bit older and they both have built up a certain amount of assets in their own name, a lot of couples find, particularly women, they like to keep things in their own name. They like to keep their own checking account or at least a, a checking account of their own uh, to begin with, and then maybe set up a second or a new joint account for joint expenses, obviously, that, that both of you are going to uh, incur, whether that's rent or mortgage or food and that sort of thing, but also keeping kind of a, a slush fund for independent purchases on the side so that you don't always have to ask your spouse for permission. And a lot of people feel very comfortable with that type of an arrangement, at least starting out, and then as the relationship progresses and as it becomes comes apparent that it's going to last, almost by nat- by nature, you know, um, more of your assets are going to be held jointly, more of your financial decisions are going to be made jointly. Ha- and that's, that's a good thing, because I think oh, yeah. long term, you want to have everything kind of together. But... Oh, sure. I mean, that, well, you know, always you're going to have certain assets that may be in your own name, um, especially if you um, are completely if you're really, uh, if you're very fortunate uh, economically and as a couple you uh, begin to amass a lot of assets, you want to have certain things in your own name that may come in handy for tax planning purposes. Also, you would always want to have your own retirement account in your own name. So if you each have a job and you each have access to a retirement plan at work, you would want to be making some independent decisions about that. But probably uh, the the longer your your relationship goes on, the more your assets would be held together. How do we handle the the, um, problem of young married people getting together like at 18, 19, 20 to 23 or four even. Mm -hmm. And they merged their assets and they merge everything because at that point in life, they may not have a lot. Mm -hmm. And then the woman becomes Mrs. John Doe and all the credit seems to go in his name. And then at 35 or 40, if they suddenly split up, she has no credit. How do we we work on it? (laughs) Well, it's just another example of how you don't always want everything as a in, in a joint account or in joint name, and certainly credit is is that the biggest of those or one of the biggest of those, especially if you have established credit in your own name as an independent woman, and if, and we hope that you do, uh, good credit in your own name, you want to keep that credit. And so when you become married, you do not want to put your husband's name on your account or you do not want to give up your account and uh, immediately start a joint account or do you, don't even, you do certainly do not want to close your account altogether, in which case you disappear as far as the credit bureau 
bureaus are concerned. If you have compiled good credit, you keep that account, you keep that account. You may want to change your name if you've taken your married name, but the account stays and the history that you've built up also stays with it. Now, if, again, if you and your husband want to start joint credit as a new couple, you might want to start a new account that is a joint account. You don't want to give up your old account in your own name, but you may want to start a new joint account. That's certainly a possibility because with a joint account, you would both compile a credit record and uh, that would work very well. But you wouldn't necessarily want to give up the credit that you've already established and use certainly wouldn't want to give it up if your spouse-to-be does not have a good credit rating. Um, This is what often happens is that, you know, in your zeal to combine assets, you end up putting your name perhaps on a credit card that already, his credit card, which has a huge balance, or maybe he's behind in his payments. And then immediately, because your name is on that account, you become responsible for it, number one, and you also get the bad credit rating that he has because he's got some, you know, bad credit there. So you do not want to do that under any circumstances. And some of that is also involved with like student loans and alimony payments and child support and all that kind of stuff too, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Whatever, as long as someone incurs a debt in his or her name, then that alone, then that is his or her debt. So you are not going to be responsible for that unless you put your name on it. You do not want to do that. Any debt that your spouse or spouse-to-be has uh, acquired in his or her own name should stay in his or her own name until it is paid off. I mean, ideally, there shouldn't be any debts remaining. Certainly things like credit card debt, you would want to pay off ideally before you got married. Now, that's not always going to be the case. Um, Alimony payments, I'm sure, obviously are going to continue continue. Student loans are probably going to continue. But uh, let's presume that everyone is is up to speed on those, you know, and you're making the payments. The person who has incurred the debt is making the payments, and that's okay. Just make sure you don't put your name on those debts because then you are responsible for them. You know, I'm struck sitting here talking about this, that one of the conversations that you really do need to have before you marry someone Mm -hmm. is talking about their financial picture ahead of time so that you get a clear understanding of what you're getting yourself into and how best to manage it. Is that fair? Oh, yeah. I think that is really critical. And it can be a very as, as simple as... Uh, you know, who's going to manage the checkbook? And maybe one of you is uh, really good about managing your checkbook. You save all your ATM receipts. You balance the account when it comes in. You know where your money is at all times. And the other one couldn't care less. You know, you don't even take an ATM receipt. You know, you don't bother balancing the checkbook. You just assume that the bank is correct. Uh, and maybe you live a little bit more on the edge. You know, one person always knows that he or she has a slush fund there so that you're never really going to overdraw the account. The other person doesn't really care and takes a lot of chances. You really have to know that because if you get together and suddenly find out that, um, you know, you're the one who who manages a checkbook and your spouse couldn't care less, your spouse is going to make you crazy. And that's going to be argument number one, you know, as soon as the, as soon as the bank statement comes after you've been married for one month. Oh, and, yeah. uh, you know, so you need to, you well, need to know. <laughs> and I've learned something new here today. Mm-hmm. ATM machines give receipts. <laughs> Gotcha, see? (laughs) And your spouse, if you have one, is sitting home rolling her eyes saying, oh, my gosh, I could tell you stories. (laughs) Well, and and it's interesting because we started our married life a long time ago, 20 years ago, and we started out and I said, you know, well, you know what? It seems to me that you ought to keep track of everything. But because of my inefficiency with 
bringing her the information, she finally said, hey, listen, I'm tired of dealing with it because we get into trouble because of you, smart guy. Mm -hmm. So maybe you ought to be in charge because then when you get in trouble, it's your fault. (laughs) And then I don't have to deal with it. Now, two two things I want to say. First of all, that is really common. You would not believe how common a situation that is. Oh, and okay. secondly, the solution is a great solution. Did you do it? Have you done it like that? Because yes. what she said was was right on the mark. Yeah, uh, the, the because then then it became my responsibility, and then mm-hmm. because it, when it was her deal, mm-hmm. and we overdrew the account because of something I did, mm-hmm. it was still her fault. Yeah. Right, exactly. Oh, I hear that from people all the time, and they say, it's too much pressure on me. He's blaming me all the time, and it's his fault. Yeah. So, you know, it's his problem. He should be the one to see how the account balances or doesn't balance, you know. Oh, yeah. So now we have it in, you know, QuickBooks or Quicken and, and, mm-hmm. all, and you know, a, a computer program, and, and I know where every darn dollar is, kind of. Mm-hmm. Well, that's as, hey, kind of <laughs> about as good as you can get. And, you know, a step farther, somebody in your audience might be saying, well, all right, smart guy, what if you blew it? What if she turned over the checkbook to you and you said, well, shoot, I don't care. And so you continued your bad habits and uh, you were overdrawing the account every month. Then what do you do? I have known of people who have gone out at that point and hired a bookkeeper or an accountant to do it for them yeah. because, you know, they were arguing about it. There was too much pressure and too much tension in the marriage and neither Either one of them was satisfied doing it on his own or her own. And so they said, well, let's get some independent third party to do it. And that's worked. You know, a, a financial marriage counselor, I think, is a budding profession because that's a big deal. Well, I'll tell you this. Most regular marriage counselors that I talk to tell me that much of their practice is finances, that what they're talking about with their clients all the time is finances, even though they're not strictly financial counselors. But money just comes up so frequently that it's a a really big issue. And there are now even divorce planners, financial planners who specialize in divorce, because breaking up a marriage is really nothing but finances. I mean, it's, it's, again, it's not nothing but finances. Obviously, it's a terrible emotion takes a terrible emotional toll. But a lot of the negotiations that have to be done have to do with financial issues. And people then feel bitter if they feel that they've gotten a raw deal. So now there are financial planners who specialize in divorce because, again, finance is so all-important an issue. Breaking up is hard to do. Yes, and financially it's even harder. We're talking with Janet Bodner. She's the author of Think Single, A Woman's Guide to Financial Security at Every Stage of Life. We're going to take a break. We're going to come right at the back and talk more with Janet. By the way, if you'd like to chip into the conversation, you can call 425-373-5527 or 888-298-5569. We'll be right back with more with Janet. Welcome back to Positive Talk Radio. My name is Kevin McDonald, and we're talking with Janet Bodner, and we're talking money, relationships, kids, the whole the whole gamut. Because money, unfortunately, since we do, we don't barter in chickens anymore, money is is a very important commodity that we all have to live with. Isn't that right, Janet? That's right, exactly. And it's always there, and it's always an issue unless you deal with it. And then when you deal with it. It's great. <laughs> and you know what's funny about money is is it's the never-ending hole. My parents, when they were when they got married, they got married in 1950. Mm-hmm. 
And they said, you know, if we could only make $10,000 a year, Mm -hmm. we would be set. We would be on easy street. And nowadays there are people, I, I don't think that there is enough money unless you're just fabulously wealthy. But for most of us, we end up spending up to our means. That's exactly what happens. That's exactly what, and beyond. And, <laughs> get, to and, and beyond. Yeah. So, so and, somebody uh, who, like in my case, I would say, wow, if I could only make six figures a year mm-hmm. and put the decimal point in the right place, mm-hmm. if I could make six <laughs> figures, I would have all the money I would need. And then you mm-hmm. talk to somebody who does make that mm-hmm. and they're broke. That's right, exactly, because we do tend to live up to our means and beyond. And, you know, a lot of the people that you see driving fancy cars or living in fancy homes and you think, wow, they've got it made, they must be on easy street, and then you look at their credit card balances and how much money they owe, and you see, you know, boy, oh, boy, it makes you feel really good. (laughs) That $700 car payment just really doesn't, you know, when you write that check every month, that's not a good thing. No, it's not a good thing. And those thousands of dollar uh, credit card balances aren't very good either. And that's what a lot of people are living on. So, Yes, indeed. And what you advocate and what your book talks about, Think Single, mm-hmm. is that women need to protect themselves right. from, from not understanding how the financial picture works. Mm-hmm. It's a very easy thing to do, even if you're, and we're not talking here about uh, being in a bad marriage or having your marriage end and suddenly be single uh, and divorced, which is another whole story and certainly and is one of the chapters in Think Single, by the way. But we're talking about just regular marriages that may be very successful marriages in which, as a very natural and normal uh, division of labor, you as a woman, you as the wife, uh, perhaps have let your husband take on a lot of the financial tasks. Now, this is not always the case in every marriage because as you mentioned yourself, Kevin, sometimes it's the woman who takes on the financial management task. I was perfectly willing to have her do it. That's right. In a lot of cases, that's, you know, and so it's not a, it's not a gender thing. You know, in some cases, it's the man who does it. In some cases, it's the woman. And sometimes they share or they do different things. And the mm-hmm. uh, woman does one thing and the man does something else. So every marriage is going to be a little bit different. And for uh, our mar- my marriage, it became a, a, a factor of my physical health. Oh, really? Yeah, because if she got one more overdrawn notice, she was going to kill me. She was going to kill you. I say your wife is a great example of a woman who thinks single. She yes. has got everything down here. But, you know, anyway, you, you kind of have to decide within each marriage. and it's very, But it's very easy, as I was saying, for a woman to, especially if, you are, um, if you're working, you have a lot on your plate, you've got a lot going on, and so if your husband says, well, I'll take care of this or I'll take care of that, it's very easy to let him do it. And if you're not working, if you're a stay-at-home mom, then you really become in a position of financial dependence, which is something a man r- rarely experiences. Um, you know, the idea of being a... Now, of course, now you have more uh, men who are staying home, at least for a time, uh, taking some time out of the workforce, but they're still m- very much in a minority. It's mostly women who do this. Yes. So you become in a... You're in a position of financial dependence. So, you know, if something were to happen to your husband tomorrow, where would you be? So it really... You really need to know things like where the money is, how much do we have in assets, um, how much life insurance do we have, um, is my name, am I the beneficiary of his pension plan, that sort of thing. Uh, and really, a woman really needs to be up to speed on this because you can't always... Cut. Your husband will not know any more about money than you do. There is no money gene that he gets when he's born that gives him more financial knowledge than you do. That just doesn't happen. Um, 
So therefore, you can be just as smart about money and just as informed about money as he is. And in fact, when both of you know about money, then you're really cranking. You know, then you've really got a relationship going because you're both bringing your strengths to the relationship and it's a real partnership. What makes it very difficult if a woman is see, either un- underemployed or is raising the kids, and mm-hmm. even though that's perceived with perhaps in the, within the family unit as a very important task, she's not slaying the dragons and bringing in any money. And there's the attitude, or there can be the attitude on her part that she's kind of beholding to him for everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, Which, a, that's kind of unhealthy, isn't it? Oh, it's very unhealthy, and it's not true. I mean, gee whiz, I, we just did an article, a story in, the, in Kiplinger's magazine about... Um, a couple who was adding some additional life insurance and uh, they had a young child and she was pregnant. She's going to have another baby. Well, they were going to add more insurance on his life, but they were also going to buy a policy on her life that would cover at least two years of his salary so that if anything, God forbid, should happen to her, um, he would, and he chose to stay home with the kids. He could do so without any financial penalty. Now there's a smart couple who knows the value of having her be at home with the kids. It's also true and a lot of women don't realize this, that even if they are stay-at-home moms, they can have their own retirement plan. They are allowed to have a spousal IRA as long as their their husband is uh, is employed. And uh, if you look at a tax book, uh, you'll always see, or a retirement book, there's always a little footnote in the retirement chapter. By the way, you know, if if you stay at home, you can have a spousal IRA. But it's always a footnote. You know, it's always sort of an afterthought. Whereas for a woman who's actually staying at home, this is you know, prime financial fact for her. She needs to know this. She can have her own retirement plan. She is employed, and uh, she can contribute $3,000 a year to this plan, and she should be doing it. She should be managing the money also. So it becomes very important if you are a woman who's in that situation. Yeah, because it's, you just never know. I was talking with a gal the other day that's had a double whammy. She was divorced, and she also had a spouse die. Oh, gosh. You know, so, I mean, that's 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 the really bad one. Oh, yes, exactly. And what could happen? I mean, I had, when I was working on Think Single, I would have women, friends of mine, you know, intelligent, educated women, one woman in particular who was working on a master's degree, and her husband, great guy, had pitched in, she had three children, and he had really pitched in to do a lot of things around the house while she was at, at class or while she was doing her work. So they had a great relationship. But she said to me, you know, she said, if anything ever happened to him, I would not have a clue about where the money is and how much insurance we had or anything like that because I've left all that to him. And that's really a scary thought. I mean, look at John Ritter, who just suddenly, at a very young age, um, has a heart attack based on an ailment that he was totally unaware of. And it really makes you stop and think, oh, my gosh, this could happen to any of us. And then where would you be financially? I mean, look at 911, you know, and what happened to all those families in the aftermath of that. So things can happen that are unexpected, and, and you need to be as prepared as you can possibly be for situations like that. I can't imagine the emotional trauma, how much it would be compounded if you not only lost your spouse, but you had no idea where anything was. That's right. And we had interviewed um, for the book, actually, there's a little anecdote about a woman who uh, was widowed um, in the uh, 911 terror attacks. And uh, what she did, she said, uh, shortly after it happened, once she kind of emotionally got herself back on an even keel, her husband had been managing the money and literally paying the bills 
through online bill paying and a lot of computerized bill paying, and she just didn't have a clue how any of those things worked. She had young children. What she did was she got her parents to come and babysit with the kids for a day, and she um, literally shut herself away in her husband's office and just uh, went through all the bill paying stuff, and she got in touch with his banker, and uh, with the help of the bank and the computer, she just sat there all day to figure out where everything was and how things worked and just to get on top of that situation because it was something she just didn't have to deal with. But, you know, it was really critical for her, and she said she she felt so much better about things in general when she finished that because she felt at least that she was in control of at least one part of her life, you know, after so much had spun out of control, but at least this she was on top of. And that's really, really important for people. Right. And in this case, she even had, I mean, she they had insurance. I mean, she was fairly well taken care of financially. So she wasn't that she was worrying about, uh, gee, where's the money going to come from to make the mortgage payment or anything like that. But she just didn't know where things were. And, she, and it was the day-to-day bill paying that was the most uh, worrisome to her because she just didn't know how that was being done or where the money was. Or, gee, am I paying my electric bill? Or are they going to cut off the power? That was the big worry, right. not the big insurance policy. So. We're talking with Janet Bodner. She's the author of Think Signal Single, A Woman's Guide to Financial Security at Every Stage of Life. A very important work. When we come back, I'd like to talk about allowance, kids, parents, and how that can generate into trouble. Welcome back to Positive Talk Radio. My name is Kevin McDonald, and you're listening to KKNW, 1150 AM. We're talking with Janet Bodner, and we're talking Think Signal. Gosh, I wish I could say that word. Single, the woman's guide to financial freedom and health. And we're talking, Janet, I'd like to talk about allowance and kids. What's your recommendation on allowance? I think that you need to give an allowance. I think it's the best money uh, management tool that you can uh, use with your children. And I have three children of my own, so I, I know whereof I speak on this subject. Bless you. So um, I really do think that an allowance is a great uh, teaching tool for kids. And I think that uh, over the years, I write a lot on the subject of kids and money, and parents are always saying, gee, I, I can't figure out an allowance system that really works for me, and I've tried things, and, and they don't work. And so I've also come up with some uh, a system that I think works because it's very practical for parents, so it's easy for them to administer. And if they can do it, then, then the kids will do it as well. If the parents can't do it, neither will the kids be able to do it. So Okay, this is the part of the program where you get a pen and paper right? because Janet's <laughs> going to tell you a foolproof way. Right, exactly. Goodness knows we've tried Everything. And, you know, and part of the biggest problem is that the darn parents just don't have their act together well. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's really it. And and of course you don't because you have a million other things on your mind. And this is just one other thing you have to worry about. And that's why it's important to keep it simple and to keep it something that you can administer. And what I tell parents to do, I tell tell them, yes, I think that an allowance is a good idea. I think you should start um, as early as age six or seven when kids start to learn about money in school. 
And so it means something to them. So if you're going to give them $2 a week for an allowance, they know how much that will buy. You know, if a five-year-old really doesn't have a clue how far $2 a week is going to go, but a six-year-old or a seven-year-old certainly would. So you want to wait until they're old enough to handle it. I think that you need to start with a base allowance that's equal to a weekly allowance that's equal to half a child's age. I think that's a good rule of thumb. Some people might want to adjust that down if they think it's too much or up if they live in a big city where things cost a lot more than that. But I think it's a, it's a number that parents seem to feel comfortable with, at least as a starting point. And, um, and then I think the big thing for me, my advice, my own personal advice, my own you know, uh, guaranteed patented allowance system is you don't just give the kids the money um, on top of everything else that you're already giving them. What you give them is certain financial responsibilities that go along with that money. So if you're going to start your seven-year-old, let's say, on an allowance of, of $3 a week, let's say, then you say to the seven-year-old, now you're going to get this money and this is what you're going to be responsible for. And maybe for a seven-year-old, it's, it's very often some sort of collectibles, you know, maybe it's sports cards or, or um, Beanie Babies or, you know, little action figures or uh, matchbox cars or art supplies, pens and pencils, or hair frou-frous, you know, stuff like that. And so you say, that's your dime. If you want those things, you need to spend your money on those things. And immediately the kids think, oh, okay, um, it means something. that I'm getting this $3 a week, but I have to budget it. And the kid may not know the word budget, but knows how far it will go in terms of the sports cards that he collects, that sort of thing. So I think that's really helpful. So it's not freebie money that the kids get. It comes with strings attached, but the strings are financial strings, so it really means something to the kids. That's a good system. That, oh, it do, it yeah. definitely works. What do you do if, if like in my case, my kid would have to take a cut and pay? My kids <laughs> might even organize into a union if I cut their salary. <laughs> well, you wouldn't necessarily. You don't want to make it so high to begin with that you feel obliged to cut it. You know, you want to kind of underpay them. You want to, you know, you start with a base allowance, and then if they say, "Gee, I really need more money," then they have one of two choices. They can either spend the same as adults do. They can spend less. You know, they don't need, they don't have to go to a movie every week if they can't afford to go to a movie every week. Or they can earn more money. And they could earn more money when they're younger. They can earn more money by doing extra work around the house. I would not pay them for normal chores like cleaning up a room or helping you do the dishes or things that they would normally do around the house. But if they did something extra, if they washed the car, if they shoveled snow, if they raked leaves, if they put up plywood because a hurricane was coming, that sort of thing, then you might want to, you know, give them something extra. So that oh, but, way they could earn extra money. Oh, but there's also a slippery slope there because I I tried that system mm-hmm. and the kid said, I want to wash the car. And that was worth $5. Mm-hmm. So I said, go ahead and wash the car. The job didn't get done the way that I would have done it. Mm-hmm. And so I said, no, you need to do that more. He went on strike after that and he <laughs> wouldn't do it anymore. Well, said, Dad, that- you're too tough. That's okay. Don't pay him the $5, though. You know, the quid pro quo is he doesn't do the job to your satisfaction. He doesn't get paid. There now, if, it, if he's not motivated by money, if he doesn't want the 5 bucks to, to wash the car, then he just has to get the money somewhere else. So maybe he has to wash somebody else's car. Sometimes it helps for kids to work for other people, you know, people other than dad or Boy, mom. No 
and um, or you know they do other things. Maybe washing the car is not his thing. Maybe he wants to do something else, or maybe he just cuts back on his expenses because you know he's not going to be bringing in enough bucks to to uh, to cover them. The point is, he has to feel the pain and he has to feel the consequences of his actions. I like it when they have to feel the pain. Well, yeah, because <laughs> that's that, that that's a good thing for us. By the way. I understand that you're coming to the Northwest. Is that right? Yes, I actually am coming to the Northwest. We're so excited. You're going to have to drop by and say hello. Well, it will be fun. I'm looking forward to being there. I'm going to be there on October 1st, and I'm going to be giving a seminar for uh, Money Wise Women. You're going to be doing that in the Harbor Club in Bellevue. That's what they tell me, and I understand it's a great place, and I'm really looking forward to it. Yes, it is, and (laughs) you're going to have a great time. If you'd like more information, you can call 360-308. 0056 for more details. That's Money Wise Women's Forum on October 1st at the Harbor Club in Bellevue. We've had a great time talking with Janet Bodner. Janet, how could somebody get a hold of your book? Oh, it's online. You can buy it in any major bookstore. You can get it online at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. You can also get it at Kiplinger.com. Uh, and go on our website and you'll find it there too. So um, it's everywhere. <coughs> And you're also uh, working at Kiplinger's Personal Finance. Yes, I Finance. am executive editor of Kiplinger's Personal Finance Magazine. That is my day job. So I write and edit and know all sorts of good stuff about finances. And um, I happen to write about children and money and then the new book that I just did on women and money based on my vast experience here at Kiplinger. <laughs> and that you do have. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Thank you so much. And we're looking forward to seeing you on October 1st at the Harbor Club in Bellevue. Again, more information, 360 308-0056. Janet Bodner, thank you. Well, it's been my pleasure. By the way, Oprah's a nice lady, isn't she? Uh, she's a very nice lady, and her show is a lot of fun. <laughs> okay, Darla, I got that in for you. Okay. <laughs> thank you, Janet. Have a great day. Okay, thanks. You too. Take care. Thank you. Join us again tomorrow when we've got Dr. Nita Bishops coming and Carolyn Wood. Stay with us tomorrow. Have a great day. Be positive. Do something nice, even if it's Eric. Do something nice. Take care. We'll see you tomorrow.